Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. In this week's episode, I got to chat with Michael Ewing, who has been in the welding industry for over 30 years and has a mission to pass along the knowledge and skills he has gained along the way to the next generation. He talks about people who have inspired him and helped him along the way, safety concerns on the job site, and then leaves us with some advice about dialing in your settings. We dive in after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you tired of carrying multiple pieces of equipment on your service truck? Lincoln Electric has introduced the solution, the Ranger Air 260 MPX. This multifunction engine drive combines an air compressor, generator, battery charger, battery jump starter, and multi-process welder in one compact device. Specifically designed for the unpredictable circumstances and job demands of the work truck industry. But that's not all. The Ranger Air 260 MPX is also designed to provide a lower cost of ownership with features such as auto stop-start technology and an electronic throttle body engine with variable engine speed. Don't miss out on this versatile and reliable machine that can handle any demanding job site. Visit www.lincolnelectric.com for more information on the Ranger Air 260 MPX available later this year and save space on your truck for other tools and gear with this compact power horse. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience just in case they're not familiar with you and your work? Yeah, my name is Michael Ewing. I live right outside of Tupelo, Mississippi, and I work for a, a small contractor we do industrial maintenance. What that basically means is from the, and I tell people from the rebar to the roof, whatever it is outside of electrical, we let the pros take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to touch anything other than something that's going to strike an arc. But anyway, what we do is we assist maintenance for the most part to help keep the mill, these mills running. And our job titles, if you will, are our task range anywhere from fabrication to welding to demolition to millwright to structural ironwork, anything demolition, anything that the company needs, they'll call us on a various task and say, Hey, can you guys handle this? And then we'll, we'll come in and we'll get at it and facilitate whatever they need, especially when helping, helping maintenance, uh, we'll assist them in like call-ins and, and things like that when they really need contract labor to come in and give a hand because there's things that we can do that really help them not be so spread thin and, and keep the mills running because time is money Yep, and money's not too bad on my end. <laughs> <laughs> well, but before this job, I mean, you've been in, you've been in the industry, you were saying over 30 years, like I, how did yeah. you first get into it? Well, when I was in, when I was in industrial arts, my dad was always, before that, my dad was always uh, tinkering. He was a shade tree mechanic body guy. There, so there's always at my house, he had a shop and there was always a torch and always a welder. And there was always things that he was working on and building. 
he had, he didn't have an education at all, but he was, he could do things. And so when I got into junior high, I went to industrial arts. I won't never forget these old, huge gray tombstone Lincoln <laughs> welders. They welded machines that they had the crank dial in the back. They didn't have a welding class. They just had some old welders back there in the old hood. And I asked permission to go back there because I saw my dad do it. I, I started asking permission to go back there and, you know, and I started striking arcs and thought I was really doing something <laughs> and, and I got bit. So I went home and I told my dad, I said, I want to be a welder. That's what I want to be. And he had, but he wanted me to go to college because no, nobody in my, his side of the family has ever been to college. He wanted me to go to college school. I, was is I had my mind in so many other places other than going to school. I wanted to work, make money, wanted to get away from home. I wanted to travel. I wanted to be, do everything other than what he wanted me to do. So <laughs> as, as, do. As, as I got into high school, we had our vocational school. We had metal trades where we had a welding side and a tool and die, which tool and die, I, God bless tool and die men and women. I just don't have, that's not my taste. I tried it. <laughs> Like a half a semester, it's like, that's not for me. Yep. Uh, so I, I got into welding and I really started to learn a lot. I had a really great welding teacher. He really inspired me, really encouraged me to do. And, and my teaching was very, I mean, middle of nowhere, Mississippi. I mean, our, it's just, uh, just another small welding shop. Very little focus on that. So I did what I could. So when I got out of, when I was right, still in high school, my dad said he wanted to start our own custom welding business. So at 17, my name was on the board up on the, in front of the shop, CNM custom welding. That's what that. And we did. Yeah. Oh, uh, it, was, it was really cool. We had, we would take, I learned that into the business at 17. I had to deal with customers and really get into the, the brass tacks of it and dealing with the public and fabrication coming up with drawing out the ISOs of what people wanted then actually executing it. Nothing really major trailers about hauling trailers like when you say ISO real fast, when you say ISO for people that are out there that don't know what that means, what do you mean by ISO? You literally draw a blueprint. You literally draw out the print yourself. We didn't have, I didn't have the graph paper then. We, it was all like primitive, really primitive. So we drew the, drew out the print of what we were going to fabricate in scale and, and with the measurements all on there so that we had something to actually go by and look at. So basically just really crude, if for own, for that time, very crude blueprints, okay. drawing out the blueprints. Sorry. I just wanted isometric to make sure drawings. everyone was on the same yeah. page. Now you can look up the term isometric drawings and there's some guys out there, man, that can really just, oh yeah, they're like. Picasso, Van Gogh's able to really just draw some stuff out. I do good drawing a stick figure. <laughs> hey, man, that's all you need is some lines, right? Lines and some circles. Lines, lines and measurements. Lines and measurements. But once we, we were going good, we were pretty successful. 18, I was buying, I was buying things and I was making money then. Well, my dad, good credit. It was building. My dad got sick. Cancer, cancer took him at 47, Dang, 47. Man. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. I'm, shoot, I'm 51, bro. I'm beating his time. Dang. I'm working day by day. <laughs> I want, I want, I want, I want to excel, yeah. you know, where he left off. So really rough time, a really rough time. And I just had a lot of don't cares mm-hmm. and welding went by the wayside and I just started just, uh, 
just exist and you're doing Joe jobs and stuff. I didn't have anything to work. I didn't care. And until I just, yeah, until I met a woman that changed my life and she gave me two of the most precious things in this world and my motivation changed. Yeah. And I started, then I, I picked up and I, I started doing some road work with my stepdad welding out there in the field and came home and started this fab shop back home, right, right down the road, actually, from the, the tube mill I was talking to you about earlier. Okay. It's pretty big. It's a boiler shop, actually. It's PSP Industries, Monotech, Mississippi. They have a satellite plant in Texas, which is massive. And Iuka, north of here and all over. And what, what that shop basically did and does is fabricate um, scrubber units for coal burning power plants. And basically, it's the duct work that, that takes care of all the, the byproducts of making energy. Yeah. And massive, massive units that, that I helped fabricate and weld out and learned more about welding in that seven years than I'd learned in the whole time in the previous. It was a whole nother, another another scope of reality of welding because there's so much to the dynamics of welding. And the avenues it can take you is astronomical. It's like playing chess. You can play chess. You can play chess a million times and never play the same game twice. Yep. <laughs> the same way with welding, actually. And I learned that early on. At this time, I had no idea about actually reading blueprints. I was a hot shot. I'd, got, I'd gotten good in the shop. And I was, there was a term that was used, and it really shook me. One of the fitters said, oh, you're just a welder. I'm like, yeah, and I'm pretty good at it. Yeah, but you're just a welder. And basically, he said, I can weld too. And I'm like, and I started thinking about that. I started really just analyzing that. And I said, okay, what can I do outside of here? And I got to looking at it, and it was like nothing. And if there's nothing for me to weld, there's not a paycheck to earn. Yeah. And that kind of hit me really hard. Said, Wait a minute. I'm not, as, I'm not as important as I thought I was. And with that being said, I've told this to some people and I try to get, get this across because this humbled me a lot. But you're talking about a hotshot welder, dude. I've got over the period of time, I have accumulated approximately 48, 49 separate certifications in multiple processes. Dang. That sounds great, right? I kept all my <laughs> paperwork, kept all my paper. I got papers for 20 years ago and they're no good on another job, but that just validates that you can do and you've taken the test. It's like a you resume. Know the process. Exactly. It's very important. And we got laid off. There's a huge layoff. Okay. Well, there's no other welding shops around where we live. That's it. That's the end all be all. So we got wind, me and a couple of my buddies, we got wind that there's this furniture shop right there in the town that was, they welded <laughs> air quotes <laughs> steel frames yeah steel frames for this furniture i'm like man we got that i've got way too many certifications i am overqualified for this job dude man full of myself and i had the job i'm just gonna wait to see how much it's gonna pay me right so in my denim blues man we hard welding hat man we bust up in there and i started talking to this gentleman and i told him i said I mean, i'm obviously the spokesman for the for this crew and I'm going to get us a job. And I start telling this old man, I'm like, dude, and I said, you hire us. I said, we'll, we will do the best job. You will, you, you will be thank You will be wondering why, how you were even functioning without us, dude. I was selling us, dude. I was selling us hard. And he kept trying to 
tell me that he was not interested and, and very politely. And then he got my attention. He told me a story. He said, Mr. Ewan, I said, he said, I said yes, sir. He said, have you ever been to Nashville down Music Row? I said, I've never been down Nashville down Music Row. He said, there's a funny thing when you go down Music Row, and you'll see it all the time. He said, there is a plethora of guitar pickers on the street. He said, and they're good. Mm-hmm. He said, they're good, man. You can sit and listen to them for hours. He said, but, he says, if you're a guitar picker in Nashville and you don't have a stage to play on, he said, you're just another guitar picker. Mm-hmm. And right then, I knew I was like, wow. Humbled me. I was like, and that, that turn came back to my mind. You're just a welder. Yeah. You're just a welder. You, you got to have the and skills like, outside to support it for sure. And I'm like, geographically, especially if you do not have I, and, I, and a lot of these youngsters that's coming into the field, and that's what I try to expound on. If you want to be the welder that that everybody wants, then you got to put in the work. You can't just show up and you're starched out with 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 your Sunday best on and expect to get that job. You got it's doggy dog. I mean, I can go I can go to I can go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana right now, and you will count in these refineries. You can count on two hands. 10 of the best TIG welders in the nation. How can you compete with that if you don't have those accolades, if you don't have those skills? You're just another guitar picker. Mm-hmm. You're, just, you're just another hand. You got to learn how to and be bass. Another, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and, if, if, and, and I always say this too. Was, I was, people out here, people say, I'm not welded structural. I'm not going to weld structural. I'm welding pipe. If it's beneath you, then it's beyond you. If it's beneath you, then it's really beyond you. And now that's just coming from a 51, 50, 52 year old man been doing this 35 years. I've seen it. If you're going to be that hand, male or female, you better know that, that you got it on lockdown because once you start doing that, you get in those Rolodexes, you get on, you get those phone calls, those 911 come get it, son. And that's where they, those guys, those hands are. Now that's a cut of, that's like comparing a Cadillac to an escort. There's no comparison. <laughs> and and that's really where I push and try to, with especially the content that I'm putting out here on Instagram, is to help help these youngsters with the things that I have been taught and the things that I've been invested that's been invested into me, because it has helped me be able to control my own destiny. I go where I want to go. I mean, the, I, as Scarface said, the world is yours. If it's not cocky, if you have the skills. To back it up, if if you're a commodity and and you are needed, then you're not going to have to beg for a job. You're not going to have to wonder where your next paycheck's coming from. You're not going to have to wonder about that, and you're not going to have to settle for a less than what the other guys or other gals are making because you are that hand. You have the skill set to say, "No, I'm sorry, guy, I'm I'm not taking that. I, I appreciate it, but." I got two other people calling me. I got to get this kid. I got to get this phone call. Yeah. You know, I got to go. That's not arrogance. That's just honest. That's just business because you're selling yourself. You're trading your time for a paycheck. That's why they call it a trade, man. Exactly. You trade it all. Yeah. Well, like when you're talking to these, this next generation, I, a thing that I've talked about a lot with a bunch of different people is trying to reach this next generation. Yeah. It's tricky. Like every age it group is. acts a little bit different, commutes or communicates a little bit different. What types of 
things have you been trying to instill into this next generation? Attitude is number one. That's the keys to the kingdom right there. Hands down. Attitude is multifaceted when you look at everything. I don't care what you do for a living. You may not even weld. You may, you may want to do something. You may want to lay brick. You may want to run conduit. You may want to be an electrician. You may want to be a plumber. You may want to be a heavy uh, machinery operator. But the one thing that is universal in all that is attitude. Attitude is everything. I had a kid one time. Now, when I was in that shop, I, I, I graduated up the ranks and became lead man over you know, 30 plus welders on day shift. And you'd have to deal with these individuals individually couldn't deal with them, a blanket. We're going to do this. This is my way. This is that. Time. You're dealing with people that just left a situation you've got no idea about, and you got to deal with them for eight to 12 hours a day in a very volatile environment. So how do you extract everything, their potential to get what you need done without crossing boundaries, crossing lines? This one kid, I told him he was just kept, just try to, try to, I mean, he just wouldn't, he knew everything, couldn't tell him anything. And I was like, hand, I said, let me ask you something. I said, God gave you two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. I said, you know why that is? And he just stopped me, looked, and he said, why? I said, because it's twice as important to listen and watch as it is to speak. I said, I'm trying to teach you something that's going to make you better because I'm not going to be here forever. And you're going to be, you're, you're going to take the reins and you're going to have, whether, I don't care, I do not care if a person wants to be in management. If you're in the field, if you're doing anything, you're a leader. Somebody is watching you and following what you do because they want that great. They want that paycheck. Mm -hmm. So in, in retrospect, you are a leader. What are you leading them to do? I hear this all the time for these halfway past stepping people that only want to do the bare minimum because they're just there for a paycheck. And I get that. Hey, whatever. Uh, it, that's you. I'm not going to let it affect me or my crew. They'll say this all the time. It all pays the same. And my answer is always the same. My rebuttal is always the same. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. You keep thinking like that, it will. But for me, it doesn't. I refuse because I know what it can be. And the thing about it is I look at the potential of each individual hand. And as old as I am and as long as I've been around hands, I watch people. And I can you know, say I get a new hire tomorrow. You give me 20 minutes with that individual. And I can tell you right quick how much they know and how much they've lied about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just that. And that's what I want to tell the, this generation is that attitude. You bring that attitude of being the willingness to learn. Hands like myself, I'll teach you everything I know. I'll, I'll give you everything. But if I can't tell you anything, well, if I can't teach you anything, the only thing I can do is keep you safe, let you struggle. Because, I mean, if, if you already know it, I'm not going to waste my time trying to explain why. And when you come to me and try to tell me, you know, ask me, why did it work? Then we can break it down yeah. and talk about it. And then they explain without browbeating somebody. You don't have to do that. That is unnecessary. That's not a leader. That's a dictator. And most of those hands are very insecure of what they can do anyway. Mm. They're just trying to keep that, that, that important position. Yeah. I, I want I gotta to be I a want, step above you. That's it. That's it. I want the hands that work under me and work with me to, understand how good they can be because it's it's like my my son said we have a my excellent welder on the creek 
And he told me early on, he said, I don't want to be like him. He said, I want to be better than him. And that's attitude. That's that hunger, that desire. You can't make somebody have that, mm-hmm. but you can encourage them. You can be the example. You can lead. You can make the end. You can create because attitude is a ref- direct reflection of leadership. And you are myself. I am responsible for maintaining that environment for my crew. Because if my crew goes off kilter, their, their attention is not going to be on those things that can get them hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and if they get hurt, that's on my watch. That's on my watch. It is my fault. If where I failed my crew is I've let the attitude get in a dire situation. And that's, as a leader, that's what you have to do is to not walk on eggshells to pamper delicate egos, but to hone that, that ability, that craft to teach, to lead, to understand, to listen. Key thing, to listen as a leader. You have to listen to your hands. You have to listen to the people because they have a voice too. And if you shut them down and let, make them feel unimportant, there's like this younger generation. Us older hands have to be able to listen to them and their ideas and their perspectives and try to communicate with them on their level. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't, we shut the doors on their minds, on their ears. They're not going to hear us. And they're, we're just going to coexist mm-hmm. to the end of ship, to the end of ship. And nothing, productivity suffers. Productivity suffers. Safety is highly endangered. And the whole, the wholeness of the job itself, because outside of our core group, as this is going on, the people, the company that we're working at, the, these mills that we're working at, they're watching us. And we have to always know that we're competing with the next contractor. Mm-hmm. If we come in with stanky attitudes and everybody's arguing, everybody's slinging tools and just, yeah, yeah, and nothing's getting done. Everybody's watching this. Yeah. And you, you're in the, you're in the spotlight you don't want to be in. You're in a spotlight you don't want to be in. And that's where we're at is, that's where we are as a crew. And what, as, if I may speak frankly, Everything I do in the content that I put out is the same thing I would say to the hands that I've worked, that are working for me. Mm-hmm. It's the same exact thing. It's because I want this, this generation to be equipped. I'll give you an, I'll give you a great example. What year did you graduate high school? 2006. 2006. Took shop there, right? Nope. I didn't have shop. I didn't have shop. Didn't have it. shop. Yeah. Ah, that's even better. That's even better. <clears throat> what did the field house look, at, look like it's football on a football field? There, there wasn't one. You didn't have a field house. Okay. We had a, a football field, but there was, there wasn't a house on it, unfortunately. The, well, that's the way, that's the way, oh, uh, where right down the road is they have a football team. At my school, this is what I can't, and, it, and a lot of times this is what I get is you go to the shops anywhere across the nation. You go to the ag shops, you go to the vocational shops. And you will compare them to um, the everything sports, basketball, football, baseball. Yeah, it's like no. you, you can see where the community you can see where the community's money is. Oh yeah. And I really started looking at it and I started questioning myself why? Because in nineteen ninety, do you know how many NBA stars we have? How many NBA contracts signed? No, I don't even want to know. Zero. <laughs> Zero. Do you know how many NFL contracts we had signed? Zero. You know how many kids that graduated that class that came back to that hometown, to my hometown, and worked blue collar? 
a bunch. 98%. 98%. Okay, now looking at the spectrum of it, it hasn't changed in 35, 40 years. It hasn't changed. Our communities are putting more into sports programs than we are our ag and our shot classes. Why? Why? Why is that? Why are we focusing on temporal accolades instead of equipping our kids, our young men and women in this country to learn a trade, to weld, to fabricate, to do, to be, make them, to forge them, to equip them, to be even better. Let's say these kids, we take that money and we focus it in these shop classes. You give them the best of the best that we could possibly give them. The best teacher, we recruit the best shop teachers to actually teach these kids. Okay, let's say they go to an academy like Kentucky Welding Academy, to any of these other welding academies out in Wyoming, and all the rest of these welding academies, they go to a trade school after the fact. Mm -hmm. How much better by the age of 22 do you think these hands are going to be? Way better. <clears throat> Why? Because we took the time to invest in them, to equip them. Yeah, but and we're not doing that. People aren't buying tickets to go watch the shop class. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're only, it's only like seeing this far, this is where the money is right now. Yeah. But we're not investing into our children the way we should because look at the trades and how everything is going now and where all these youngsters, and this is where my motivation about helping these youngsters, you don't, you have no idea how many times. A kid in shop class, a high school kid, will reach out to me and ask me questions on how to get in the field. And all this started on the at Boone Nation when I was on Boone Nation. I had no idea how many high schoolers, how many high school shop students were on this app. Yeah. And they were reaching out to me saying, hey, man, how do I get into this field? I see all this. I see all these. I see all these mega famous welders on Instagram. I want to be that hand. I want to be that guy. I want to be that gal. Mm -hmm. I want to make that kind of money. How do I do that? How do I do that? How do I do that? And that's really where I see where our school system in this time is really failing them. And it really motivates me to do all I can to, to help them, to inform them, to give them that leg up, mm -hmm. to, to introduce them to some, to some contractors that I know, to work with them on things that they don't know, just questions, just being real. Yeah. Just like I said, just being real, just creating that atmosphere of leadership that is a, Hey, I want to do that too. Not just, not just a motivational speaker, but saying, Hey, this is reality. This is what we're doing. This is what it's like out in the real world. Yeah. You know, you can watch all this stuff on this facade that we, we create, but in the real world, nobody's really going into detail. You want to go on the pipeline? That's fine. Think about think about it, though. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to trade three months at a time? Yeah. Are you ready you know, to look for a job when that yeah. one contract ends? It's, exactly. There's a lot. That's been a big focus of mine since I'm new to the welding industry. I've only been in it mm. since 2020. But um, right. <clears throat> but that's the biggest thing I saw was not having the information or like the full picture, like learning how to weld, but not yeah. having the full picture of like what it would be like so that's what i try to do like right. that's why i love this podcast is i get to talk to people and see what it's really like yeah as far as like with your work a thing that you kept touching on was safety and safety like trying to keep people safe mm -hmm. what are some situations you've run into through your time out working in the field that it's been a safety concern or you overcame something that that went wrong some of the biggest is when we take demolition jobs where, where there's a lot of, uh, 
there's a lot of, there's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of rewelding. There's, it's all hot work mm -hmm. and it's all like coming from my, from an iron working background. Oh, it's like I mentioned before, it's really easy to rig a piece, rig a piece, have a calculated, have a good rigging plan and lift something up, put it in place. You know how much it weighs the balance. You're, there's a lot of controls there. Oh, pardon me. But when it comes to demolition, like we just, like we just got off this big demo job, a demo rebuild, just a copper tube mill back here at the house, um, is I have to come up with the rigging plan. You have to you analyze what it is, but, and you're working with hands that, that, that are green, that, that hasn't been exposed to a lot of this. Me personally, I've done tons of demolition, not the best at it, but I'm savvy at how to, how to attack it safely. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing I tell these guys is that there's a lot of variables you don't know until gravity takes over. And those are the things you have to watch out for. Pinch points. Oh my gosh. Pinch points, crush hazards, a, a load getting wild and, and coming down. Unfortunately, uh, that's not ever happened. That's not happened to us. And, but there has been some near misses where we just had to really just back up and say, Hey, wait, hold up guys. Yeah. Because every, everybody's a safety guy. Mm -hmm. everybody's eyes have to be watching and learning and listening to when we cut it loose, we're committed. There's no, Hey, hit the pause button. Let's once we cut that last point loose, gravity takes over and you know, it's going to do what it's going to do. Have we done our job to calculate that? And that's one of the things that really, oh, oh. it's nerve wracking because you're the guy that come up with the plan. You're the guy that, uh, called the rigging shots. You're the guy that, signaled all go, all go and you put your hands in harm's way so you have to mitigate how you got to overcome that and you you overcome that with bad things happening in the past and early on in my career watching people who just you know, i don't know i don't know if it wasn't they didn't care or they just didn't know for a combination of the both but i've seen some really bad things happen and I never wanted to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And I really just, I really just scrutinize that because I don't want to go home and have to be at the hospital and tell somebody, Hey, I could have stopped that. Yeah. Hey, I could have stopped that. What are, so it, it, it go ahead. what are Sorry. some of like, what are some of the most overlooked safety concerns in your opinion? The overlooked safety concerns depends on kind of what we're, if we're talking demolition, under rigging, not calculating the load properly, hot work, because a lot of plums we're cutting in these mills and we're doing a lot of hot work in really greasy, oily environments and fires. As fire, you get a fire in one of these mills, bro, it's, it's, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. It is not good, especially the OSB mill that we're in. It's, that's a huge risk that we have to, that we have to take care of point A, point B, point C, then double back to A to make sure everything, because I've seen some major fires and it don't take long. Yeah. It don't take long. I mean, it's really bad. One of the, one of the worst ones was here not too long ago. This was like one of those freak things. We're on top of this dryer. It's hot. Micro dust everywhere. Um, when I, they say it's like gasoline, I didn't believe it early on. Eight years later, I'm a believer. <laughs> it don't take much. Once it's atomized, especially. So we're demoing off the top of this dryer and the mill's running. My boss is actually running a crane and bro, I'm running three C's, calm, calculated, and copacetic moves. 
nothing fast, nothing move. You know, we're picking fast is slow and slow is fast. So my son and I were on top of this dryer. We're about maybe 25 feet up on top of this platform. And we hooked to a, a big drive motor. This thing's probably about 1,800 pounds. And we rigged through the picking iron. This thing's probably been up there 15 years. Protocol. We're doing exactly everything textbook. We hook to the picking iron. We shackle. Rigging's great. Man, we come straight up. We swing over. We're out from under the load. My third guy, he, don't, he no longer works with me. He's right over here beside me. All three of us up there. And we pick up. I'm signaling for the loads. And as he comes over, that, that motor's about 10 foot off the platform above us. And then all of a sudden, picking eye just pop, picking eye. Now, I've done a lot of, I've, I've been through extensive rig, rigging classes, crane rigging classes to be certified to rig, to do just that. And the picking eye was rated for like three times what we were doing. That's the crazy thing. That's the crazy thing. As we picked it and he swung, swung over, I watched the video too afterwards as they were, as everything's on camera. And it gets, he gets center ways. I'm like, Hey man, this is a smooth pick. All of a sudden this 1800 pound motor comes straight out of the sky. Oof. Don't come off the hook. It does not come off the hook. It pulls, pick and I pulls out of the, out of its threaded socket. Oh, that's not good. And it comes crashing down. And there's this, they, they run these dryers and the presses off thermal oil, superheated oil, about 500 degrees. So there's like four, six inch live running thermal oil lines between us. And this motor comes crashing down and all I see is a spark and this huge fireball. And it just, yeah, my son is right over there. I'm like, yeah, this is bad. Yeah. So fortunately <clears throat> it fell right between the, the thermal oil lines. It didn't rupture a line. The fire was started by a piece of conduit. It made spark. It hit when it made spark and it touched off the, the, the atomized sawdust. So we got it all, got the fire out and we flew the, I, and I, there were no cutting and running. We were still up there. So I had to rig to the motor again in a different way and fly it down. So we fly it down and then all the mill is there and we have to analyze and find a root cause to what happened. I've got the pig and I that came out. Crazy thing. Now the gentleman that's over maintenance that we were actually working for screws and the electrician he's head of electricians so we're all over there and he screws the pick and i back into the socket and pulls it right out hmm. i'm like wow i said now how many of these motors now working with maintenance like that how many times have we rigged to just that pick and i rigged to a pick and i that's that's, the, that's your point of rigging that's that's what you rig to that's what you rig to and you, I mean, and it was solid, but once it got up and got vertical, that's when it gave. And I looked at the head of a electrical. I said, "For us, how many times do we do this? I mean, on, I mean, on the run, all the mills running, and this we have to do this." He said, "All the time." I said, "How many times have we double check, double back check these picks?" And I said, he said, "Never, because they're rated." And I said, "Exactly." I said, "What scares me? What's really freaky is somebody flew that up there with that picking out in there." And it was just us that were the ones that it got. And fortunately, we did everything that we were supposed to do. It was just one of those unseen variables that you just don't know. And that's the dangerous part. But it's part of the game. Yeah. I mean, it's part of it. I mean, it's just, it's the risk. I mean, 
you, you go inside a boiler. There's, <laughs> you, there's so many countless things that could go south. And that's where you have to be a professional and try your best to eliminate or reduce the amount of those risks. Yeah. Oh, just so you vigilant. go home safe every day. Just gotta, yeah. Gotta be vigilant. Like safety is everybody's job. Like for sure. Exactly. And, but as, as far as the, the, what I want to tell this generation is do not put all your eggs in one basket. That's what I try to, I try to, to hammer home. Don't put your eggs in one basket. Don't be so funnel. I don't say tunnel vision. I say funnel vision because <laughs> you look through a funnel, it just gets that, that one thing is because you're going to miss out on a lot of stuff if you do that. And you really are because there's some, there's some, man, I've welded on stuff I would have never imagined in a million years until I took this avenue. I was, I did a stint for almost nine years with iron workers, traveled all over the country. Welded on structure, man, some heavy structure. And I would, it taught me a lot in that realm mm -hmm. as far as blueprint readings, being able to shoot elevation, being able to do, we were talking about Millwright earlier. We were talking about that today, shooting elevation on these, these units that we're putting together and installing. And if you don't know anything about how to gain and maintain your elevation and your shims and know how to put your, anchor everything properly to where everything's level and square and perpendicular with your footprint, then what are you going to do? And years ago, back when I was in that shop, I would have never known how to lay out that footprint for those pieces to go. I wouldn't have known how to read those prints. I wouldn't have known anything. I would have just been there waiting on instructions. I just determined a long time ago that I was not going to be that guy that just had to be told everything that you had to put your hand on everything I've done. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn. I wanted to do. I wanted to be valuable because I saw other guys doing that. That's they, you know, they were hanging iron. So you know what? I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a lick with the boilermakers for a season, and they did because they could. They they had that skill set. They were able to. Or I'm gonna go out here and I'm gonna work on the pipeline. They could well pipe. They could. So if my mindset is so centralized and focused on just one thing, that one thing is all I'll ever be able to do. Yeah. It's going to be your biggest limiter in life if that's all you focus exactly. on. Exactly. Um, exactly. But the good thing about it is I've always been able to make a good living welding. Yeah. I've always been able to make a good living because everything I have done has had an, something to do with welding, being able to weld. And that's what I tell these, these youngsters about having that leverage, that being on a job. I was down in Mobile and... This one foreman, he never had anything nice to say to me ever. He was <laughs> a jerk. I mean, a real jerk. I mean, I just tried to avoid him as much as I could. But one day he came to me. He was just bouncing, smiling. Hey, old buddy. I said, oh, here we go. I knew something was up. You're going to call me, buddy. Yep. I know you hate me. Oh, and I was like, what's up, Steve? He says, I need a man that can weld off a mirror. Can you weld off a mirror? I said, I don't know. I said, how much does a mirror welder make? <laughs> makes the same as you're making. I said, well, buddy, I don't know what to, I'm, I, I can't help you. Oh no, that ain't no way to be. That's no way to be. And that's a true story. This is like legit, uh, how it happened. And like I said, it's not cocky. It's not being arrogant. It's just having limitations. Mm -hmm. Setting boundaries. Being, being able to say no, because you can, mm -hmm. uh, and that's having that leverage I was talking about earlier. And I looked at him, I said, Steve, I said, well, let me ask you something. I said, you come to me because you need something. 
because somebody on this job is not able to give you what you need. And you know I can't. So why would you half step and come over here and tell me you're going to pay me the same amount as you're paying everybody else, but you want me to do something that they can't do? I said, that ain't how it works, bud. Mm-hmm. Go back and recalculate that and come back and holler at me. I said, but I ain't doing it. And do what you want to do. Go get my money. We we part ways right now. We ain't friends, so go get my money. Yeah. I, I don't care. It don't matter. So whatever you need to do, that's what we need to do. I said, but no is no. That's not, I'm not fudging. I'm not budging. We ain't buddies. So whatever you want to do, I said, scratch at it. <laughs> and uh, he was like, I was like okay. And he knew I wasn't going to budge. Because I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. But I want this, this generation to understand the attitude of being able to do that. And that comes with time, that comes with experience, that comes with putting in the dues, paying the dues. And, and really, why I do as much as I do and why this younger generation is such a passion to me is because of my mentor they buried today. Yeah. One of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons, Mr. Kenny Malone, God rest his soul was one of the biggest positive influences uh, on my career. His voice really can be heard echoing in everything that I try to teach, that I try to lead, when I try to do everything when I'm working. Because Kenny had that. He wanted to extract the best out of you mm-hmm. because that's just who he was. And in, in, in reality, and a lot of people say that's just really corny, but get, get my age pay the dues I've paid and you'll understand. I'm standing right now. I'm standing right now on a podcast with one of the heaviest hitters of well.com. I'm in your house, but I'm actually standing on the shoulders of hands that are gone. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm here is to, to pay homage to them. It's my way of saying thank you. And it's my way of passing on uh, what they invested in me into this generation that I believe in because I have hope in them. Mm-hmm. I have hope in them. There's a lot of guys and gals out there that'll start trash talking to these kids, man, and talk about there. It's not, you know, it's this, it's that. And no, it's not. It's only what you make out of it. You have to weed through the bad apples and you got to extract the good. You can't throw them all out. Yeah. If you do, you I mean, this might as well shut her down now. We might as well shut her down now. So what's, what's the point? Really? What's the point? If you're not willing to go that extra mile, that older hand did for you, then you don't deserve the, you don't deserve the craft. You need to go be a greeter at Walmart somewhere. Get out of the way because there's people that actually do want to invest into these kids. Yes, absolutely. Pardon me. I get, get a little because Kenny was a, is a huge loss. He was a huge loss to our trade. He was one of them hands that distance geographics separate us and i always told myself i was gonna go see kenny i was gonna go see kenny i was gonna go see kenny but life happens when things we're busy we're working he's working we never made time so and in a way this is my way of making time for these youngsters that i'll probably never ever meet but if i've had a positive impact on that matters man one, one at a time because They'll have an impact on somebody and then they'll have an impact on somebody because brother, nobody throws a pebble into a pond that it doesn't cause ripples. Mm -hmm. Know that, know that. So what kind of ripples are we making? Are we making good ripples, making negative ripples? And that's up to us. That comes from our attitude. 
if our attitude reflects on them as a positive, then they will be motivated to say, hey, I can do that too. I want to be like them. Yeah. I want to be like them. I want to do what they're doing. Um, not here. I'm not here to. I'm just a country. I'm just a simple country guy. <laughs> uh, I mean, I live in the middle of the woods. I mean, I, I live just about as simple life as you can live. But I have a career that has great opportunities. Yep. For young men and women that want to tackle the range and do something, to do something beyond their own imagination, uh, to know their own value to know their own worth, to have a sense of that leverage, to be able to, to choose their own destiny. Instead, I, I use this analogy a lot. I remember watching Oliver Twist. I, I, don't, want, I don't want anybody that has ever, has ever heard anything I've said or watched anything that I've tried to teach be like Oliver Twist with that little bowl. More, please. You know, more. May I, may I please have some more? No. No. I want these kids to be, you know, to be those hands that, you know, this like, you got contractors fighting over them, you know, because when contractors start fighting over you, young guys and gals, listen, if you got two contractors that want you and they call you, the bargaining is, it, the bargaining is in your favor. You didn't call them. They called you. What's it worth to me? What, do you, what are you willing to do to get me on that job? Mm-hmm. Well, this is all I can do. That's okay, Ann. I, I got somebody else calling. Uh, holler at me when you can get your money right. Yeah. Because that's the point. If you call them, it's a totally whole different ball game. But if they call you, you got the power. Got them. You got them. You got the power. You got them right where you want them. Not to abuse that power, but to negotiate a fair price. Yep. And just you know, know that you time. have it. You have that power still. Yeah. So. Ain't nothing like that, bro. I'm <laughs> telling you, ain't nothing. It, it, it goes far beyond ego. It just it's just a humbling thing to know that. You can't. Yeah. Just because you can't. Just because you can't. And you worked for it too. Like if you work for you these skills. You earned it. Yeah. You earned it. You earned it. You get the old cliche. Now the boss's son's coming to work. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. He's going to try to tell, run the job and don't know a clue other than playing Fortnite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, I mean, he ain't got a clue. But you get these kids out here, man, it's got that grit, got that drive, got that determination. As snatching tools out of your hands, saying, I got this. Let me do it. Let me do it. Bro, there ain't a feeling. There ain't another feeling like that in the world. Yeah. That's amazing. They're sitting there. You feel somebody shadowing you. You just know somebody's watching you. You're sitting there. You're sitting there. You're sitting there walking that cup on a piece and you just feel a presence right there. Somebody bird dogging me. Yeah. You look up and it's that kid. And they're like, man, I was watching heights. What are you doing? I'm like, watching how you do that. I want to learn that. Okay. Just hang around. Yeah. Just hang around. Just hang around. I got a TIG head over here. I got an old TIG head. Here, you take the guts out of that big pen. You stick it in there and you draw some lines on some notebook paper. I said, you start willy wagging that, that cup and come back and holler at me. We'll work with it. It's those things. Yeah. It's those things, man. It's those things. Art gouging. Man, art gouging. These kids, they'll watch this art gouging. I'm not the greatest welder in the world by no means, but I'm a surgeon with a carbon art gouging. You learned it early on in that boiler shop, doing shots, doing full pen welds and x-rays and all that. And watching these kids watch this carbon art gouging, it's like, wow, how do you do that? It's, it's like, here, I'll show you. I'll show you. This is another tool that you stick in your, your toolbox, your gang box. It's going to make you better. Yeah, and faster. Not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants that money shot. They want to be, you know, toes out. But right here's the, this will get you paid, bro. Yeah. This will get you paid right here. 
Yeah, just you another know? tool in the box, man. You want to have the most tricked out toolbox when you're out there. Exactly. So if people, like, I usually end each episode with advice, but that's pretty much been the majority of this whole episode. Mm -hmm. But, like, what would you say one of the biggest, like, old school tricks you've learned along the way? Like, everybody covets these tricks that people have that you can only get Mm -hmm. when you're in the field. It's like you can only get it from somebody out there. What would be one of those tricks that either like you've learned along the way or your favorite trick to mm. teach people? Man, that's wild. I've never been, I have never been asked that actually. I've got, there's just so much. There's just so much that's learned in the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, school can't even teach you this. Man, there was just one. Man, I, there's so many. Yeah, but what's I your could, like, favorite one that you've ever learned? That like if because there's got to be one thing that you teach everybody and you're just like, hey, I don't know where you're going to learn this outside of this, but this is something I picked up along the way. Layout. And there's a lot of times and I see guys, they'll just blow their mind. It's when you're when you can take your I'll use a, a three piece, like a three piece set, like my speed square, my, my combo square. And I'm, most of the time, a framing square. Well, laying out holes when you get your hard lines and how you can truly identify. And I'll take that once I find my center line, I'll take my, my, my combo square and I'll, what we call scribing the holes. And to transfer that hole is so you run to the edge of that hole perpendicularly on an angle, on a slope. Using that combo square like that, you see guys, they're like, I have never seen that used before. I've never seen that done before. <laughs> I said, it's a simple trick that'll help you. It'll help you when you're transferring holes and you got a lot of them, you got a lot of drills and it, they have to be, you know, pretty close within a 16th being like spot on. Mm-hmm. And this is a way that you can actually do that. Once you get those holes, you can take that center line across that, those scribe lines. And then you get everything. It's just like when everything just comes together. It's just perfect. And and it's it's in, in fabrication, but it's like it, I know we've always run into this. You start putting stuff together, and you got holes that are an eighth or a good quarter off or half hole off. This little trick, I, it's, it's actually I'd have to show it, but it's really amazing. And I learned that in that fab shop, that big fab shop, and it's absolutely because we were required to, is to make sure that our whole line out was spot on because mm. a lot of times i see guys that you know, laying out and it's just it gets kind of it's kind of sloppy and this is just a real trick that i use and i've learned and i was taught that keeps everything just right in line right and on it's line. like man it looks really good and it, it, it works out good that's awesome. that's one of the ones is describing your holes and able to know how to use your tools describe holes to make sure that you're consistent that you're consistent with it and that's a lot. And another thing, one of, one of the things too, as far as welding, that's dealing with fabrication. I, mean, I got to touch on welding. Actually, I have guys ask me, young guys, what do you set your welding on? I said, I prefer to set it on concrete. <laughs> I said, but I have to set it on gravel. I have to set it on mud sometimes, sand. Well, no, what do you set your numbers on? I said, well, there's a lot of variables. And here comes the teaching aspect. I said, there's a lot of variables. I said, what are we welding? Are we welding T1 steel? We're welding AR 400. What are we welding? Mild steel. What are we welding? How thick is it? How cold is it outside? There's so many variables. How many feet a lead are we using? When's the last time the machine's been calibrated? What size rods are we using? What type of rods are we using? We, okay, we're welding quarter inch steel, 
four aux cable, one eight seventy eighteen low hydrogen, three G vertical. Okay, real simple. This and this is what I set it by. I use those numbers as a base. You go by the WPS and you set them as a base of what it would be in a perfect scenario. Now, where the skill comes in is if everything from the shoulder to the holder all the way back to the machine is not working right, are you able to dial it in and that the sound is crisp and the puddle is uniform? Can you do that? That's how I set my machine is by experience, by knowing what it's not supposed to do and figuring out how to do it. And then they say, well, how do you do that? Well, come on, I'll show you. You know, yeah. and we'll get into that. Well, too, being able to take the trashiest machine and make something really great out of it. Yeah, just dialing in, yeah. like settings are yeah. way more important yeah. than like, that's something that a lot of people will ask is, it's like, what are your settings? It's It really is going to depend on your situation. It's like that's your parameters. Yeah. What are your parameters? What conditions are you working yeah. in? It's going to be totally different if it's 110 degrees outside with 80% humidity than it is at 12 degrees and snowing. Yeah. It's going to be <laughs> totally different. So being able, that's one trick, the one trick, the most valuable trick that I've ever learned, just like I said, with layout from the weld machine analogies is being able to analyze what you're doing. Be patient enough to listen and learn and figure it out mm. to do the best you can with what you have. That's what you're going to have to use. What you got is exactly. what you got. So you better well exactly. figure it out. Exactly. Well, if people out there, they've learned a lot from you and they want to reach out and get in contact with you, like where can they find all the content you're putting out and reach out? Well, you can reach me right here on Instagram. It's Michael Ewan, 625. I'm dyslexic, so I hope that handles right. I don't even know my, I can't, it's hard for me to even recite my own phone numbers sometimes because, and I struggle with numbers. It's just part of life. It's something I have to deal with, but you can reach me just on my Instagram. I, I'm just there, just simple guy, just producing content to help people. And if there's anything you want to know, I, I may not, if I don't have the answer, I've got tons of really smart people that do yeah that can help me help you and and that's what i want to do is i want to be able to pass on as much knowledge and information to uh, anybody that's willing to learn because there is an old saying wisdom is only knowledge applied mm -hmm. and if we gain the knowledge and we apply it then we become wise in what we do if we become wise in what we do then we become an asset to the country because the blue collar hands these kids that are coming up, they are the infrastructure of this country. They are the, you are, young lady, young men, you are the infrastructure of this country. You are the grease in the wheels that keep this country running. And I just want you to be the best that you can be. Absolutely. Because we need you. We do. We need you. Well, I appreciate you chatting with me, telling me all this past. I'm sure that we will have to have more conversations in the future because we only be touched. That was the tip of the iceberg, I know. So. Bit, bit. But it's been awesome chatting with you, and I just really appreciate you coming on the show. Yes, sir. It's been my pleasure. I thank you so much for having me. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. And thank you, Michael, for coming on the show. I know that was just the tip of the iceberg of knowledge you have to offer, so we'll have to do it again soon. 
I also want to thank Lincoln Electric for sponsoring the show and helping us all learn about the different pathways available in the welding industry. If you're struggling with something or need advice, head over to the Weld app and drop it in the feed, and you might just see it in a future YouTube video. If we can't get to it, there's tons of experienced welders in there ready to help answer your questions. If you're a fan of the podcast, it would mean a lot to me if you could leave a review to help get the show into more ears looking to learn. I appreciate everybody who's tuning in, and until next week, we'll see you out there.